The Last Word with Matt Cooper. RTE, we had started the programme talking about Ryan Tuberty not returning. Of course, this all started after he had announced that he was leaving the Late Late Show. And we're hearing quite a bit of news this week about what the new Late Late Show is going to be like under Patrick Keelty. And uh, what's happening to the owl, the famous owl in the Late Late Sarah? The owl is gone. The owl that has been there since 1962. Now, I might be shallow or fickle, but I thought that the owl kind of brought a certain degree of class to the show (laughs) and to the logo. I don't know. Like, it could have been the worst show that they've done, but I'm like, ah, the owl's still there. It's still a solid. It's just wise. Maybe. Okay. I don't sign- know. I'm- did it signify the fact that it was a nighttime Nocturnal. show? The owl came out? Possibly. But and I- by the sounds of it, in the summer months, you could, this could only be over in daylight hours because it's going to be a shorter show in the future. Mm, yeah. I think with the owl whole thing, I think you're damned if you do and damned if you don't. Like, if the owl was there, people would be saying, oh, it's too similar to the old show. I thought we were going to get a different show. The owl is gone and they've gone down a route which is quite similar to the Tonight Show in the US. Mm. Their logos are quite similar. But I think people would give out either way. But I... Like the owl, like there was never, there was never an owl on the. It's like the Simpsons joke of I don't remember a cane in Citizen Kane. <laughs> <laughs> there was never an owl on the Late Late Show. Okay, I wonder, and there's a degree of speculation on our part here as to what Patrick Hilty must make of everything that's going on in RT involving his predecessor on the Late Late Show. I mean, how fortunate are RT that they actually had signed him up mm-hmm. before any of this news broke. I don't think it would have made that much of an impact because Brand Late Late Show was always safe from all of this and it was always going to be a big deal whenever whoever hosts it leaves and whoever takes over. But Patrick Keelty, he was always heir apparent to do it anyway. He was lined up to do it when Gay Byrne left and when uh, Pat Kenny left. I don't think he's going to read too much into it and he's going to have the... Uh, added benefit to of having a distance away from it and I think him living in London will prove good in the long run because he'll be able to get out of the bubble and not allow the I suppose toxicity around the Late Late Show which sometimes happens on social media get to him too much. What do you think, sir? I mean, would he perhaps have changed his mind about the company that he's coming to, given what he now sees how things are going on, RT? Because, let's remember as well, he signed a contract and he's now had to reveal the salary is 250000 for the 30 shows, which is six less than Ryan Tuberty was doing. But he's had to give up on the hotel accommodation and travel fees from London, which he had already agreed as part of his contract. Yeah, no, that side of things would definitely kind of make you question, like, what am I walking into? Um, and like September 15th when he's due to start that's like a month away you know like this you know it's really coming fast down the tracks um, and this is kind of I suppose reignited the whole controversy um, but I I mean ultimately for 250,000 euro a year for 30 30 by 90 hours of TV you know like he's getting spreading, getting a pretty good deal I think and I do agree with Ben that he has that kind of distance that Ryan Tuberty never had it, from it. It depends what he makes of it and what the what RTE makes of it. If they allow if, if RTE is going to go down what we all 
suspect happens in RTE where, you know, the, the hierarchies have an idea of what people want and that's what they get. And that's what led to the Late Late Show being the Late Late Show over the last 10 years. But if Patrick Guilty is allowed to bring a freshness into it, like it seems that they're kind of going down, they're taking elements from maybe Jimmy, Jimmy Fallon in the US with the logo, the, the Graham Norton red chair maybe having yeah, what, an element in it. There's something, a questionnaire gone to those who so might want a, a seat in the audience. You'd renew your passport <laughs> quicker than you'd fill out this questionnaire to get into the late, late audience. 31 questions about your passions, your hopes, your dreams, your Irish heroes. One question is, is there a special event that you would like to celebrate at the late, late? So I don't know if they're planning on staging a baptism there, if they're planning on catching a proposal <laughs> live on screen. No one really knows. But yeah, basically they're reimagining it with this kind of funky fresh logo. They're trying to bring a funky fresh feel to the show. I'm guessing anyway, an audience participation will be a huge... Does that sound like the show they tried to do with, Ryan, with Ray Darcy on a Saturday night? Yeah, no, it does. And I think, you know, like audience participation is clearly something they're going after. I mean, up front with Katie Hannon, like that's at the centre of that show and how well, how much engagement they're getting from that, I, I'm not well, entirely no, think, sure. The, 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 think about it. What are the most popular RTE or Late Late shows now? No, you're they're dead They're the right. country special, they're the Valentine special, they're the toy show. Sorry. They have audience participation and the, the, the least popular ones are the ones where you walk away like contemplating life. Because well, apparently been, the audiences for those are down to an average of 300,000. Exactly. So they do need to change something. 90 minutes, bit of audience participation. By the way, those 31 questions, they include also your name, your home address. So it's not as intensive as, <laughs> as was portrayed. Okay, but the red chair thing, do you think are they trying to Graham Norton type... I think they will, but I don't think it'll be as regiment as the Graham Norton thing where they end it every week. There might be, uh, you know, they might throw into the audience randomly and catch people out because they're asking for applications for the entire season. So if you apply now, you mightn't get tickets until April and you'd forget what well, you put actually, in your form. Well, actually, there's a number of listeners saying the same questionnaire was actually used for Mount Oberty's time. One listener says, I've filled it out many times. Another one, I've been trying to get tickets for years for the Late Late Show and those questions have always been asked. But something else that strikes me, Sarah, is that they may have a problem with. If they want to go Hollywood, as has been suggesting, will there be any guests available because of the writer's strike? Exactly, and also, like, Graham Norton is filmed in... I don't think the writer's strike is Ortiz's problem with getting Hollywood stars in the Late Late Show, to be fair. It's I thought Patrick Hilty's contacts book from Los Angeles was supposed to be one of the things that they were working for, that they would get the movie stars who may be in London doing Graham Norton recording on a Wednesday or Thursday night coming to Dublin to do the Late Late and a Friday night. But then you lose what everyone loves about the Late Late, which is live. Well, no, they'd come over for Friday, having done the recording ah, no. of Graham Norton ah, the day no. before. Ah, no, we can't dictate Hollywood's calendars by the Late Late Show at half nine on a Friday Do night. Do you not remember the Celtic Tiger era? That was the Celtic Tiger. <laughs> Jesus, are we actually having this debate now? What does Stephen Nolan do up north that got him into such trouble? Well, this dates back to 2016 and this was reported by the Irish News during the week that um, he has apologised today for, in 2016, the now convicted um, sex offender Stephen Bear who was sent to prison last March for releasing uh, revenge uh, revenge porn footage of him having sex with an ex-girlfriend. Stephen Nolan sent an image of Stephen Bear, sexually explicit image, to his colleagues saying, I want Bear on my show. And there was then a BBC investigation into it in 2018, which I believe has now concluded. The Irish News reported on this during 
during the week. Stephen Nolan has now apologised. There was also another story which emerged today that apparently, uh, well, allegedly, Nolan Live, the television show, was using plants in the audience. He categorically denied that and said his lawyers would be looking into that one. Because the suggestion being that he likes to stir it, Sarah, and that there are people who say that this creates division unnecessarily in the North by giving voice to those who have the most extreme opinions. Yeah, no, like it's... God, it's just so grim. Like, it's really, really grim. And then there's like the other allegations about, you know, for whatever, whatever, what he's like on air, but like formal complaints of bullying against him that have been issued now. I think they've been kind of dropped. Um, but it's just insane. And also, he issued an apology on air. How is he still on air? Like, because he's extremely powerful and he's also one of the best paid broadcasters on the BBC. Is he? Despite the fact that Fourth he or fifth is. Now. Of the entire BBC network, even though he's only on BBC Northern Ireland. He's on, he's on air six days a week, five days in the North, one day in the UK on BBC Five Live. And, you know, like they, they didn't take him off air because this is like there could be an argument that this is a historic issue. And there's also an argument that the BBC dealt with this in 2018. There was a complaint made. They investigated it. Uh, the BBC said it can't comment on individual investigations. Nolan himself said today that there's BBC processes in place, which, I don't know, does it, does it suggest that there's another BBC investigation into all of this? But at the end of it all, he did get bear on TV and they wore, uh, like, leathers and uh, were half naked on the show. So, you know, I think Stephen Bear took it well. Okay, also then, regarding Northern Ireland as well, claims of an anti-Northern Irish bias at Listowel Writers Week in Kerry. What's this about, Sarah? Yeah, so basically Listowel have kind of hit back at suggestions that the town has like an anti-Northern bias um, after there was this controversy over the writers, um, kind of the writers' fair thing. Um, basically, the former curator of the fair um, wrote an article for a Belfast publication this week saying he was back in Belfast after landing a dream job that he that actually turned out not to be a dream job and he was there to stay and um, there was this whole controversy because the kind of writers group disbanded this voluntary committee, put him in the position of curator and um, loads of people were very angry about it basically because the people who built this group would have been on that committee and you know they felt it was a bit of a... Yeah but hold on there was apparently he claims that what happened in, in a pub in January yeah. in Listowel. He was introduced to Stephen Connolly. He's here from Belfast he's a new curator and he said there was a silence before one of the old guys said loudly and to nobody in particular could they not have got anyone Irish to do it. Yeah. But that, so I think people from Listowel are a bit annoyed because apparently that didn't even happen in Listowel. Apparently it happened outside of Listowel. So they're kind of saying why... It still happened in Kerry. It still happened in Kerry. Now I'm not defending it. That's like extremely, like that's a very horrible thing to hear. But I suppose the people of Listowel are kind of saying like why are we all being painted with this one brush? Like if you look at the allegation in the whole and if you widen it out a lot and said that somebody from the North claims that they're not respected by people from the Republic. Would you agree with that statement? Of course you would. They're absolutely not. There's borderline racism in the Republic towards people from the North. And even in the media, like two weeks ago, there was a night of absolute violence and unrest, petrol bombs being thrown in Derry, people under attack up there. And there was nothing in the, the news here. If it, it had happened just over the border in Donegal? Well, if it happened in Limerick, 
It would no, be. No, no, I'm just saying if it happened just over the border in Donegal, yeah. it would have been a story for it us. It would. But because it happened in Derry, and I think there's this perception of it's lawless up the, it's an hour up the road. Like, two and a bit hard. Well, you know what I mean? Like, I people, there's people listening here who it's five minutes up the road. That's true. The Donegal people. Exactly. So that's a partitionist mentality, you think, has infected Irish newsrooms. I think it's because it's easier not to get involved and it's easier not to understand. And I think it's a real problem that we're going to have to face in the coming years. That, you know, the the, the, the data breach with the PSNI and all that, they're, they're huge. Like, those officers... You tonight on that in the 5 of 5. I did, but other people didn't. Oh, okay. I, no, but I feel like I've, 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 a one, I, I've a one-man mission to try and incorporate no, are, the North. No, you are, you are dead, right? Like, it's, it's insane. Like, it genuinely is. Like, I kind of, I suppose this is my own ignorance, but, like, I genuinely didn't even realise how kind of emotive it was. And now this is fully ignorance. I'm saying that, like, outright. But, like, I have a couple of friends from Donegal, and they're, like, you know, like, it's still, like... They, like, they're obviously in the Republic, but, like, it is, as you said, literally all taking place down the road from it. And it feels like 22 counties couldn't give a and just, just to go Just to go back, I was talking to a friend who works in the media the other day, and I mentioned the Stephen Nolan story, and he said, who's Stephen Nolan? I nearly fell off my chair. Like, you work in the media, you don't know who the highest paid broadcaster ben, ben, on this island there's is. There's nothing new in this. I'm going back 25 years ago when I was editor of the Sunday Tribune. I know, but it's time that we change it. I know, but I'll maybe tell you that when we used to, anytime we led on a story from the north, and this was at a time coming into the Good Friday Agreement of 1998 and afterwards and things like the Oma bombing from 25 years ago, you put a Northern Ireland story in the front page of the newspaper, you were guaranteed to drop 10 to 15% on sales of the previous week. Mm. People in, in the Republic have turned their back on the North exactly. consistently for decades. But also, exactly. like Leo Vradker has been in government for since December and his first visit to the North was only, was it late July or like two weeks ago? But he put on a Linfield jersey, now that was a hell of a gesture. <laughs> we need to take a break. Sarah McGuinness and Ben Finnegan back for the rest of the week trending after this. Ben Finnegan defender of the six counties as part of the 32 county Ireland and Sarah McGuinness are with us for the week trending um, Ben, this is something else you'd have covered as well uh, are the Guardi now giving us weekly crime figures? Yeah, they're turning into Neffet it seems, 580 arrests made Enfet. in Okay, let's not go back there. We're moving forward, Matt. 580 arrests made in Dublin in one week, according to the Guardian. This is off the back of the perceived rise of crime in the capital. I don't know what way you want to look at it, whether it's social media coverage of these incidents or not. Um, a lot of the, uh, a lot of the, the arrests and that, they weren't necessarily in connection to antisocial behaviour or assaults. And it all comes back off the, the, the calls or the, the demands of government that they, they, they get more guardy on the streets of Dublin to police crime. And the more you talk about the increased levels of crime, the more people notice it. What about this, Sarah? Because, of course, this also comes in a week where the Gardaí are getting a bit of a blast for turning up at the ATM machines, uh, protecting the private property of Bank of Ireland, while apparently but not around to protect people from getting mugged in the streets. Yeah, like, I don't know if that's, like, fair to say. Like, I'm not going to hop on my high horse and say that was looting. But, you know, it's clearly not right. Um 
I don't I well, I don't really find that scary. What I find scary is 416 domestic abuse victims were assisted by Gardaí in one week. Now, I'm pretty sure that's a national figure, but 416 is insane. And like, I know you're saying, Ben, that like, is it just that we're noticing it more? But I think that crime definitely has changed since the pandemic. It seems to be so much more violent. Well, there is a, there are statistics which yeah. suggest you are actually more at risk in your own home than you are out in the street. And that's why the government has put so much emphasis on dealing with domestic violence. But, but like, even at that, Matt, there was figures released in March of this year that showed manslaughter, rape and sexual assault were up since the COVID while things like fraud, theft, like I suppose kind of less violent crimes were down. Um, And like I know what you're saying about in the home but like it's still terrifying. Domestic violence rose 8%, 54,000 people Mm. reporting it last year. That was up from 2021 as well. Like the like kind of surge in violence, you know, like the kind of scenes of people at ATMs was very purge like, but you know, the violence is clearly there to back it up. I think it's really like, you know, I know we're kind of talking about now, we're kind of like making it light, light of it, but like it's yeah. insane. Like the, the, the domestic and the fraud um, stuff is, is one thing, but like the stuff on the streets, the only answer you ever really hear for the, the perceived rise of crime on streets is more Gardaí. I don't know if more Gardaí is ever going to solve that because the, oh, sorry, we had Peter McFerry on the programme only last week making a very good argument that actually it's prevention is actually well, much better if you put money into services for people yeah, who get involved this, in drug use. 70% of the people who end up going to prison have drug addiction issues. We, we are reaping the rewards of austerity right now. Ten years ago, there was a cut in the number of Gardaí, there was a cut in community groups, there was a cut in after-school uh, activities and stuff like that. And now there's a generation of people growing up in inner-city Dublin who have nothing to do. And they're hanging around with each other. Their parents can't deal with them. I'm not saying that they have to deal with them or they should deal with them. But I don't think a rise in Gardaí is going to necessarily solve that. And there should be an acceptance that austerity has a big See, part There's a contrary this. argument that could be made to that as well, Ben, is that there are lots of people who are living in poverty and austerity who do not turn to crime and do not go around mugging people yeah. and turning to drugs. And why be giving to those who misbehave and not to those who actually do behave themselves? That's a fair point to make, but I'm just saying it is a contributing factor and that, uh, and there should be an acknowledgement that garden numbers were cut in austerity years and all these services were cut and lo and behold, 10 years later, we have an issue with crime. I do believe that they're linked. Okay, uh, right, let's move on from that. I was in Paris last weekend. I went over <laughs> with Aileen and our teenage son, our youngest, and we went to the Eiffel Tower on Saturday and couldn't get in. There was a security alert and the whole thing was closed down. We rebooked to go back on Sunday morning. You should have seen the amount of armed uh, well, the policemen. I'm not sure they were policemen. The army was out as heavily armed as you can imagine. And... It was only possible to get up halfway up the Eiffel Tower because there was another security issue with the top bit. And then there's a bizarre story from the Guardian this week about something that happened on Monday morning. Can you explain what happened, Sarah? Yeah, so like two two bomb threats uh, in one day Saturday when you were there. Thank God you're still with us. Um, Any coincidence? No. Any coincidence? Um, But no, so that's like a story enough. But then on Sunday, well, Monday morning... um, for kind of guards going around their routine checks to find two American tourists asleep in the Eiffel Tower. What does in the Eiffel Tower mean? Well, presumably they've gone up. They, I mean, you go up the first but two it, flights 
by go up the steps and you go to the top via the lift. So presumably they went up and slept on the stairs somewhere, woke up to have a good view in the morning. They said they were they said they were um in an area closed to the public. What where were they? I They were hammered. They were, but how, what a story that would be. What did you get up I've, to last I've, night? I got trapped in the Eiffel Tower. There's, there's nothing more. Maybe they were joining the Mile High Club, except not in a flight. There's nothing more uh, strange than seeing um, a group of, I don't know what age these men were, but uh, I, I've witnessed like groups of American tourists on their trip to, to Europe. And they're absolutely, like we think we have a bad exam, uh, record with alcohol. They're mental. Like they're wandering around the streets, looking for booze, their first trip outside America. They lose the run of themselves. So I'm not surprised that they went. They, like, they, 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 they've seen this Eiffel Tower in Las Vegas and in books. They probably didn't know better and they went up, realised that they got tired, a bit sleepy, fell asleep. But how? No, I actually, I, I've walked those stairs in the last couple of years. I would argue that they have quite a sobering effect. There are so many of them. But how drunk do you have to, like, how drunk do you have to be? It's insane. But anyway. It's probably easier to get up those steps if you're drunk. Oh, I'd, maybe we're too and very it'd different. E- it would be even easier to get down them. You could, could tumble down them as well. Um, where, what's the story with the Mark Zuckerberg Elon Musk cage flight? Oh, please let it never happen. <laughs> the, I don't uh, think it will happen. I think Zuckerberg's going to run a mile, isn't he? Yeah, like the, I don't even know where this come out came out of. Like it seems like it came just, out of Elon Musk's desire it, for publicity. Exactly. Yeah, publicity, and then the Italians got involved and said they were going to offer up the Colosseum. Elon Musk has been talking about this uh, a grand venue for it, um, but then there was these like. Zuckerberg said that oh Musk is feigning injury it's like Roy Keane in Saipan he's feigning injury he, he wants surgery. to pull out and Musk is saying Roy Keane never feigned an injury in Saipan no that was the allegation not, not, not in Saipan but that was the allegation against uh, Roy Keane um, before the World Cup it was. Oh, yeah, OK, right, yeah. OK, OK. Um, right. But Zuckerberg was making that claim against Musk that he's feigning an injury and he wants to pull out like there's going, you know what's going to happen if it does happen. There'll be thousands and thousands of people who pay a subscription fee through Twitter or Facebook or Instagram, and they'll make millions out of it. Apparently, it they've like they've been talking about donating the proceeds to charity, according to Elon Musk. But it's like it's, the charity of SpaceX. It's so sad. I'm sorry. Like, I just find the whole thing very tragic. And who has less? These two kind of bozos, such access to like power and money and resources. Elon Musk offering to drive out to Zuckerberg's house just to settle the matter there. You could like get a life, Mm. get a life. Sarah McGuinness from the Business Post, Ben Finnegan from the Today FM, who will be back with the six o'clock headlines in just a while. Thank you. The last word with Matt Cooper, weekdays from four thirty. Today FM.